Welcome to today's edition of Draft Utopia. Chris Ransom here. I'm recording a podcast for today this early in the morning. And the reason I'm recording a podcast this early in the morning is because the NHL qualifiers resume at noon today. So my goal is to get the podcast done by noon. Because on Saturday, this tournament started. I did sleep in during the podcast on Saturday. That's a different story, though. The games in the NHL were exciting, to say the least. The Blackhawks beat Edmonton. The Canadians beat the Penguins. Minnesota defeated Vancouver. So we would have Winnipeg, Vancouver, Pittsburgh, Edmonton, the New York Rangers, the Florida Panthers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and who's that one other team we have? The Nashville Predators in an eight-team NHL draft lottery to determine who gets Alexander Lafreniere. So those are all... I think you could argue those are eight of the best teams in the qualifier. Those might be the eight best teams in the qualifier. And the eight best teams in the qualifier round are all down one to nothing. So, whoever wins this um, qualifier round is going to be in the round of 16 for the Stanley Cup playoffs. And whoever loses is going to be in the NHL draft lottery. I think 12.5% chance to win Alexis Lafreniere. So the eight teams that win the qualifier round and um, what the team that wins Alexis Lafreniere, those are the nine true winners. And then the other teams, the other seven teams, are going to continue to rebuild or continue to struggle depending on the quality of talent that falls to their lap. Yeah, it's all dependent on that. Jeff Petra um, for Montreal had the goal, the game-winning goal against Pittsburgh. Chicago just wiped the floor with Edmonton on Saturday with a 4-1 victory. Portland won, so we have Philadelphia-Portland in one semifinal. And the other semifinal for the MLS knockout bracket is Orlando City SC versus Minnesota. So those are the two semifinals. And I think we're going to end up seeing Portland and Orlando City. I'm going to call ahead and call that as the championship we're going to end up seeing for the MLS's back tournament. And Stafford, coronavirus, he's on the coronavirus list. That was big news. He's not out. He's just on the coronavirus list. Now, Matt Lacoste, the starting tight end for the Patriots, has opted out for this season, which leads me to believe Devin Ossie will get immediate playing time as a rookie tight end with the New England Patriots. And Ossie Ossie's a great addition for fantasy leagues. NBA is back, but these games, the Toronto beat the Lakers. 
and I'm a Lakers fan, but Toronto still able to put together a good starting five, even without Kawhi Leonard at small forward. So the Bucks and the Raptors are looking like two teams that could take on anybody in the West right now. And this Eastern Conference is really strong. And these game two games are going to be huge today. I mean, the Avalanche Blues game, that the end of that game was insane with Nazem Kadri having that game winning goal as time expired. That was absolutely insane how Nazem Kadri came up and delivered with that clutch game winning goal. So now Colorado has a win, and Vegas and Dallas play tonight. Also, Washington plays. Tampa Bay tonight. So the Flyers and the Avalanche both won their qualifier games, which means both the Flyers and Avalanche are in a position where they could potentially end up with the top seed. And if you're Chicago, if you're a team like the Chicago Blackhawks and the NHL's going to highest seed versus lowest seed, you'd rather play a team like Vegas or Colorado that a team like the Blues or the Dallas Stars. And I think it's really interesting how both of the 12 seeds are ahead 1-0 in the qualifier round. Carolina's a 6 seed and they're beating an 11 seed New York Rangers team, but the Rangers own the Hurricanes first round pick. So regardless of who wins that series, the Rangers are going to have a 12.5% chance at landing Alexis Lafreniere in the number one pick in the 2020 NHL draft. And right now you have a six-seed Nashville Predators team that could potentially win that pick. The Florida Panthers are a team that's just stacked everywhere. And they could get better, too, if they end up winning this pick. So there's a lot to look forward to in terms of the NHL, the teams, the lottery. Columbus did defeat Toronto in the first game of the qualifiers as a nine seed. And Toronto's a team that's supposed to be stacked. They are. I mean, Frederick Anderson, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, all the guys they've drafted over the years. Toronto is a team that's supposed to be stacked, and they lose their first game in the qualifiers. So, I'm really curious to see how this tournament's going to end up playing out, because the Penguins have guys like Crosby and Malkin, yet Montreal still did just enough to beat the Penguins in Game 1 of the qualifier. Game 2 is going to be today... And there's also going to be the round-robin games, Dallas, Vegas, Washington. I'm taking Dallas, and I'm taking Tampa Bay in the uh, round-robin games today. And I think the rest of this is up in the air at this point, because for both teams like Chicago, for Pittsburgh and Edmonton to both lose game one of the qualifiers as home teams, as higher seeds, that's got to hurt. So today has got to be a must-win game for both Edmonton 
and Pittsburgh. Because both of those teams lost on NBC. And now they're going to be playing on NBCSN. Leandre Sadel, McDavid, Kyler Yamamoto, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jesse Poldujarvi, the plethora of players that the Edmonton Oilers have is definitely one of the reasons why I think they are expected to win this series. And Pittsburgh, you could say the same. They have Getzel, Jason Zucker, Hornquist. Arizona has Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall in that top line. And those guys did damage yesterday in their 4-1 win over Nashville. And that's the thing. Nashville and Arizona both have terrible line one centers. So which team was going to step up? And Arizona wing, Arizona's winger tandem of Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel proved to be an effective first-line unit and really overwhelmed Nashville's defense. And Nashville has four good defenders. They don't have the six good defenders from when they were in the Stanley Cup in 2017. And they had six good defenders on their 2016 team, but they weren't ready to take that next step at the time. Now Nashville only has four good defenders. So, and they started another goalie instead of um, going with Pekka Rene. They started their other goalie. And I think that's part of it because the Bruins did the same thing. They started Halak instead of Tuka Rask. And, but Rask had like a flu or something. So Boston justified their decision to start, go with um, Halak. I know, we've spent the majority of this show talking about hockey news. And I think that's the most exciting thing in sports right now. I mean, the Red Sox and Yankees had an intense game yesterday that was on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. I'm just, I think, I'm not in the mood to talk about baseball. I know part of it's due to the fact that the Twins beat the Indians, but I think the baseball talk's going to die down a little bit at least until the hockey playoffs end. Because we know with baseball, there's going to be eight teams in the playoff this year. So even though the Cleveland Indians are in third place in their division, they're still the seventh best team. Because if the top two teams in each division make the playoffs this year for the Major League Baseball playoff, then as long as you're one of the top two third-place teams, you're going to be in the running for that final wild card. Or one of those final two wild card spots. And that's your motivation. Cincinnati won two in a row against the Detroit Tigers, and they're going to be hosting Cleveland tonight. But Chicago Cubs and Pirates, it was 1-1 in the ninth inning. And then the Cubs, I think, ended up winning the game on like a single or something. I don't remember how they won, but it was 1-1 in the top of the ninth yesterday when I uh, took a screenshot because I was coding some uh, our Week 15 content for the NFL regular season, and I noticed after I took a screenshot of the Chiefs-Saints game, I noticed that Pirates and Cubs were tied at 1-1 in the top of the ninth. So... I'll look through a few games here. Sivali's had a second nine 
strikeout game. And this is the thing of the Indians. Great starting pitching, but their batters can't come through for them. But yeah, the Yankees are 7-1. Garrett Cole's going to make his third start of the night. He's going to be going up against Jake Arrieta. Kershaw made his first start of the regular season yesterday. Um, and did well in that game. Duffy and Mills pitched tonight. And you look at teams, the Kumar Rocker sweepstakes. Kumar Rocker, Vanderbilt pitcher Kumar Rocker. He was a top 50 recruit coming out of high school. Doesn't get drafted out of high school. Ends up enrolling in Vanderbilt. And he's now the projected top pick in 2021. But the Royals, the Red Sox, the Angels, the Mets, the Pirates, and the Diamondbacks are all looking at looking to be potential candidates for that Kumar Rocker sweepstakes. All of those teams and I don't think the Royals are going to end up winning the sweepstakes, even though they're in last place right now. With their Danny Duffy and Brady Singer, I don't think they're a team that's in the running for this pick. The Red Sox of Chris Sale, I don't think they're in the running either. And the Angels have actually shown some promise at times this year. So I think if anybody in the American League right now is the front runner for Kumar Rocker, it's probably the Angels. The Mets have DeGrom... They have Cindergaard. They have too much pitching talent to end up with Kumar Rocker. The, the Diamondbacks got Madison Bumgarner, but Bumgarner's past his prime. And the Pirates are 2-7. and seven. So I think the Pirates are the team that's going to end up with Kumar Rocker, but I think the Angels and the Diamondbacks have to be competition for the Pittsburgh Pirates at this point in order to get Kumar Rocker. Because the Pirates, their two best pitchers are out for the year. Um, Archer and Tayon are out for the year. And their they're number three, number four guys, Musgrove and the other pitcher, that actually look good in spring training. But they, they have to make that jump from number three, number four starter to number one, number two starter. And it's not an easy jump to make. So the White Sox, though, are won four in a row. The Yankees have won six in a row. And the White Sox winning four in a row is great for their fan base. The, the Braves have won five in a row. They're seven and three now. And they got Mike Soroka as their number one starter. And they got a lot of quality batters. And the Rockies are six and two. Jonathan Gray's been fantastic on the mound so far. And the Rockies are starting to show the combination, the pitching and the batting. Their starting pitching has been great. Their bullpen... Not so much, but their starting pitching is okay at times this year. It's not consistent enough to the point where you could say this team warrants a World Series. But the Nationals are 3-4. and four. Everybody else. So if the season ended today, the, the Rockies, Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants would all get in the playoffs. So the Braves, Marlins, Cubs, Brewers... Rockies, Dodgers, Padres, and San Francisco Giants would all be the playoff teams. The Nationals would be on the outside looking in. And that's interesting because the National League right now, I would say that the Cubs and the Dodgers are the main contenders and the Braves. The Braves have really impressed me with Soroka. They're 5-0 at home. So I think the Braves 
the Cubs and the the Dodgers are the three contenders in the National League right now at this point in the season. Whereas the Twins, they took three out of four from Cleveland. They're 7-2. and two. And while their pitching isn't spectacular, it was good enough to beat the Indians. The Yankees and Twins are really those two teams that stand out. The Astros are still in first place in their division, despite not having Justin Verlander or Keuchel or Garrett Cole, which is kind of amazing in a sense. It really speaks to how much weaker the AL West is because the Athletics were a team I expected Sean May to be the number one starter and I expected them to run through that division and they haven't. So that tells me that the Athletics may not be all that. The AL West may not be all that. Whereas the AL Central and the AL East, you know we're probably getting a Yankees-Twins ALCS. But if it's Cleveland as the seventh seed, Minnesota as the two seed, and Cleveland has to go back to Minnesota for a uh, series in, the, in October, and our pitching's healthier, we might the Indians might learn from this loss. They might come back. They might win. I'm just saying they have good pitching. Do not sleep on this team. And the Reds are winning, coming off a two-game winning streak, so I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with these baseball teams now that we're 10 games through the season. Because right now, in the there'd be four AL Central teams that got in if the season ended today. Twins, White Sox, Cleveland Indians, Detroit Tigers, Yankees, and Orioles, Astros, and Athletics would be the four that got in. And it's interesting that the Orioles are in this conversation. They beat the Red Sox, they beat the Rays. We really have to start looking at the Orioles as a potential wild card team but I think at the end of the day there's really only two big time contenders in the AL maybe four you've got the Twins the Yankees the Astros and the Athletics I'd like to say that the Cleveland Indians are a contender but they went four and two they took two out of three from the White Sox they took two out of three from the Royals and they only got one out of four from the Twins. And the White Sox are now 5-4, five and four, and Cleveland's 5-5. Five and five. So I feel like Cleveland can be a contender if they get in. But if they're playing a team like the Yankees or the Twins in the opening round, they're probably not getting past the opening round. Because I think if the Twins have home field against the Indians in a series for the playoffs... That gives the Twins an advantage, and hopefully it gives Frank Kona the motivation to beat the Twins, but the Twins are still winning and scoring runs at will, even without Byron Buxton. And they got a lot of guys that can just hit home runs consistently, even, and their pitching showed up. Like, they're pitching the last three days. I'll look up the games really quickly here. They beat the Indians 1-3, to and Smeltzer... Um, he lowered his ERA to 11-something, 11.57, after an awful first day. But Maeda beat Carrasco. Maeda was phenomenal. And 
and Dobnik only gave up a run. Dobnak got his first win. So Dobnak, the Twins pitching stepped up. Like their pitching, their starting pitching stepped up big time against the Cleveland Indians. So that's good for the Minnesota Twins that their pitching stepped up because the Twins and the Yankees look like the top two teams right now. And the Yankees are 7-1, and their pitching's been phenomenal. Matt Barnes got the loss. Breton got the save. But this game was 6-6. It was tied at one point, and the Yankees won 9-7. And there were four games postponed yesterday, some due to coronavirus, some due to other things. But right now, the Yankees and the Red Sox, Yankees are commanding the AL East. And the Twins, you could say the same thing. They're commanding the AL Central. The Twins have the pitching this year. They didn't have the pitching last year, but their pitching looked great against the Cleveland Indians. I could see them making the ALCS. I still think the Yankees would win that series, though. The Yankees just look like a completely different animal. They have the batting one through nine lineup, the pitching. They just have everything you want a World Series contender to have. And Kershaw got that first win. Ken, Kelly Yanson, Kenley Yanson, this second save of the year. White Sox beat the Royals, um, nine to two. The Cubs beat the Pirates, two to one. So we've talked baseball for about, and hockey mainly, for about 20 minutes. I did throw a bit of soccer in there. But the reason I'm not mentioning the NBA is because the NBA playoffs don't officially start until August 17th. But I'll quickly go into here and quickly mention some NBA stuff. And then I'm going to break down Iowa for our What the FBS Okay, NBA is not letting me, um, I have to update the NBA app, and I'm not going to do that during the podcast. So no NBA news today. Instead, I'm going to break down the Iowa Hawkeyes for what the FBS, it's the best segment on the Draftutopia podcast on Anchor. And now we're getting into the top 25 but for Iowa. And yes, I did see Iowa is known for their offensive line. They did lose Nate Stanley at quarterback and Spencer Peras. Spencer Petras, a California native, is the leading candidate to replace Nate Stanley at quarterback. But he has a strong arm, good size at 6'5, 230. Alex Padilla, Deuce Hogan are likely going to be candidates to challenge for that position, but you're going to have a very talented group of receivers. Three seniors. With Ermir Smith-Marset as that main receiver, but you also have Brandon Smith, another senior, and Tyro Tracy, a sophomore slot receiver, returning. And Smith-Marset led the team with 722 receiving yards last season. And he had five receiving touchdowns. Nico Regini is returning. He led the team in receptions with 46. So Tyrone Tracy, Brandon Smith, Nico Regini. Iowa has their deepest receiving core in years. 
And it's not just that. Even though that does have a lot to do with it, Tyler Goodson had 638 rushing yards, five rushing touchdowns at running back. Mackie Sargent, 563 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns. So Iowa's got a nice one-two punch in Goodson and Sargent. It's a good college tandem, not necessarily the best pro tandem or a tandem that translates well to the pros. But Iowa's strength on their offense is their offensive line. Iowa has a very good offensive line. Even though they lost Tristan Wirfs, they still have a very good offensive line. They've got Alaric Jackson, the left tackle that played next to Tristan Wirfs as, as the main blind side for Iowa back. They got Coy Kronk, the Indiana right tackle, as a transfer. He started 40 games at tackle with the Indiana Hoosiers, and he's replacing Wirfs at right tackle. So they're going to have... And Alaric Jackson's also the first four-year starter at left tackle in Iowa's entire history as a college football program. And you've also got Tyler Linderbaum. He's a sophomore redshirt, but he's considered a first-round prospect in the 2021 NFL draft at the moment. You have Kyler Schott, a junior right guard, who may end up declaring for this draft. You've got Mark Kallenberger, a left guard, and Cole Banwart, a senior guard, competing for that left guard job. Iowa's going to have a very strong offensive line, okay? Yeah, they lost Nate Stanley, and they don't really have the consistency at tight end. But Sam Laporta had 15 receptions and 188 receiving yards in limited playing time as a true freshman. And he was the first Goodson to lead. Tyler Goodson, he had 638 rushing yards as a true freshman last year. He was the first true freshman to lead Iowa in rushing yards. So, Iowa's got a true... Iowa's got Tyler Goodson. They've got and Mackie Sargent, that running back tandem, with Goodson and Sargent. You've got a lot of receivers... With Smith Marset, Regani, Brandon Smith, and Tyrone Tracy Jr. And you got a very strong offensive line. The, the bookend tackle tandem with Jackson Kronk is back. You've got Linderbaum, Kallenberger, and Scott. So really, quarterback's really the only position that's where there's uncertainty. And I think this is a strong Iowa team. And defensively. They don't really have what you'd like. I mean, Chauncey Goldson is and it is taking over. Goldson and Epineza were the starting edge rushers last year, and Goldson was more of a run stuffer while Epineza was the pass rusher. So they're not going to have that edge rusher that intimidates people. Nick Neem, Christian Welch led the team with 86 tackles. Jack Court, Jack Koner, their free safety, was second on the team with 81 tackles. Koner is going to be the guy that really is the player to watch in the secondary. Him and number eight, Matt Hankins, because they lost Michael O.J. Mudia, who led the team with three interceptions, but he was a number two boundary corner. And now you're going to have Matt Hankins, the field corner, returning, and Jack Korn near the free safety. So those two 
Hankins is a senior and Cornier is a junior, but those two players, 8 and 28 on this Iowa State secondary are going to be players to watch. And I think the rest of this defense has undrafted prospects, but I think the secondary for Iowa has two draftable players, and I think the offense has a lot of talent as well. So I think Iowa, the reason they're ranked... The reason they're ranked in the top 25 is because they have so many returning starters on the offensive side of the ball. And this is a very disciplined team. Defensively, they'll bring the same to every game. It's really, they love their two back and multiple tight ends. And they got some talented guys. They didn't target those tight ends as much as they did in 2018, but it was a developmental thing. And they don't get enough credit for the talent they turn out on defense. And Iowa's known for their defensive backs on the defensive side of the ball and their offensive line. When you look at the talent that Iowa produces in the NFL, the first thing you think of is the offensive line, the playmakers, whatever playmakers they get or recruit. You think of the offensive line and then the playmakers, and then you think of their defensive backs. I know they had Epineza last year as an edge rusher, a very good edge rusher, probably their best edge rusher in years, but... Iowa's mainly an offensive tackle, defensive back factory when you look at what their programs accomplished historically. And he had nine and a half tackles for a loss and 47 tackles. So with um, Goldston gone, Petrus, Spencer Petrus, the redshirt sophomore, if he wins the starting quarterback job, he's going to have a lot to look forward to. And they open up the season against Minnesota on September 18th. And this is a game that I'm probably leaning towards Minnesota because they have Tanner Morgan, Rashad Bateman. They have a lot of guys coming back. And it's Minnesota's home opener. The game is in Minnesota. And Iowa handed Minnesota their first defeat. Minnesota was like 9-0 or 10-0. Then they went to Kinnick Stadium in Iowa. And Iowa handed the Golden Gophers their first defeat of the year. And this is the season opener Iowa at Minnesota, this is a season opener, because this is a big season opener on September 18th. If we're doing conference-only schedule, both of these teams are going to be ranked, and they're going to be in the opposite conference of the Big Ten that's good, the headline conference with Penn State and Ohio State, and then you've got Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. And if Iowa's going to have any shot at contending for the Big Ten championship, they have to beat Minnesota in Minnesota. And if they don't, they're probably just one of these teams that's good enough to make a bowl game. But I don't even know if we're going to have bowl games. I think what we're going to end up seeing this season in college football with the whole coronavirus outbreak is we're probably going to see playoff. We'll probably see the college football playoff, and that's it. Like, no bowl games. I know you're going to lose a ton of revenue, but it's like until there's a vaccine in place or until you think it's safe for these student-athletes to play again, what you should do is just have the conference championships, no bowl games, four best teams get in the playoff, that's your bowl game. The four-team college football playoff, that is your bowl game for this year. And everybody else can just go back and recruit. So you get rid of all the bowl games except for the four-team college football playoff. Best four teams in the nation can play 
in the playoff. I think that's a fair compromise. And Iowa's going to probably lose to Minnesota. I think they'll beat Michigan State. They go to the horseshoe, and they get Penn State. So they get three of their first four conference games are on the road this year. Then the rest of the schedule is workable. But, yeah, Minnesota, Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin should all be losses. But Northwestern, Illinois, Nebraska, Purdue, and Michigan State should all be wins. And that's why I think Iowa's 5-4 and four projection for conference record is a very realistic projection. As Iowa's a fringe top 25 team. They barely made the top 25. So if they lose to Minnesota, they're not going to be in the top 25 when the season ends. I don't think they're going to be. But if they can beat Minnesota, then all of a sudden this becomes a way more interesting team to watch. They'll be unbeaten when they head to Columbus. They somehow come out of Columbus with a win like they did two years ago when they hosted the Buckeyes at Kinnick Stadium. or oh, Maybe that was three years ago. I don't remember. But the last time they played Ohio State, they handed the Buckeyes a loss. So if they can do that again, they'd go to Penn State without a loss. But Iowa's not a serious contender for the college football playoff. They do enter the preseason ranked as the 25th best team. Now, can they do enough to finish in the top 25? That is going to be the question because Minnesota, Ohio State, Penn State, I can guarantee you, and Wisconsin, those four teams are all probably going to be ranked ahead of Iowa at the end of the season. So I'm going to say no right now, but that's only because five and four in this, with this, Iowa's schedule, conference-only schedule, being 5-4 and four does not warrant a top 25 grade when you lose to the strongest teams in your conference. So I'm going to lean no towards Iowa. But I do think Iowa's got a lot of NFL talent on the offensive line, at receiver. They have some fun running backs. Uh, Sargent's not a guy who's going to make the Senior Bowl or Shrine game, but he's a fun player to watch. And... I think Iowa, with their two running backs, their depth at receiver, and their offensive line, they're going to be a very exciting Hawkeyes team to watch. So, And what they do is going to depend on what happens, what Spencer Petras or whoever their starting quarterback is, what that quarterback does, that's really going to depend on what happens, what they do. And Iowa's top recruits are third stringers at the moment. So Iowa didn't really recruit anybody that stood out on paper. So Iowa, I don't think they'll finish the year as a top 25 team. And tomorrow, I'm going to preview. I'm going to preview tomorrow's team. Well, tomorrow's team, I think, yeah, tomorrow's team is Virginia Tech. And I'll talk about the Caleb Fairley thing in depth and why. Because right now I'm looking at the top 25 rankings and I'm not impressed with the first two teams. I think Virginia Tech losing Fairley and Iowa, those two teams are not going to be in the top 25 when the season ends. And if they are, they're fringe top 25 teams. But it's going to be really exciting to go through this top 25 and assert the contenders from the pretenders.
that's really the most rewarding part of this process. And a team I like that I didn't really talk about a lot in depth on the What the FBS series here at Draftytopia is Iowa State with Brock Purdy. And they're, they're at number 17 in the preseason polls, so I will get to talk about them in depth on a later date. But yeah, this week, Iowa, the team I discussed today, Virginia Tech tomorrow, Boise State on Wednesday, Central Florida on Thursday, and Cincinnati on Friday. Honestly, I kind of want to talk about Virginia Tech today before this podcast ends because they're one of these teams that I just want to get them out of the way. And, but I'm going to do one team a day. That's pretty much the premise I've stuck to. But if I do Virginia Tech right now, I could just get them out of the way. Because I don't think Virginia Tech... Virginia Tech's best player is Caleb Fairley. And he's not playing this season. He's going to prepare for the NFL draft instead. So I think that really puts a dent in their season. And... They'll they'll beat Georgia Tech without him. They'll lose to North Carolina without Caleb Fairley because that game's at North Carolina. Boston College, they may win that game. They lost last year, 35-28. They probably lose that game. They Louisville, they lose to Pitt without Caleb Fairley. I mean, Miami, they lose that game. They go to Duke. They'll probably lose that game and Virginia. So... Honestly, I think without Caleb Fairley, Virginia Tech's honestly looking at what may be a 1-8 and a one and 7 team. I think Caleb Fairley is that big of a difference maker that Virginia Tech goes 1-7 and seven without him. Because, I mean, Virginia Tech, they, they have a few players... On offense, that are returning starters, and that's great, but none of them are seniors. None of them are really guys that command line that draft status you want in a player. And then you look at Virginia Tech's defense. You've got Deshaun Crawford and Gerard Hewitt. You've got great linebackers, Ashby, Dax, Holland, And Ashby had 119 tackles last year. And DiBalo had... 84 is his free safety. So without Caleb Fairley, Divine DiBalo becomes that headline player who really has to step up. And Jermaine Waller's a returning starter. He's going to have to go from number two to number one corner. And DiBalo's really going to have to step up at free safety as well. Because Virginia Tech with Fairley, with Far, with Caleb Farley, I keep saying Fairley, but with Caleb Farley, this is a dark horse to contend for the ACC Coastal. And without Caleb Farley, with the ACC, with the schedule they have, Virginia Tech may only win one game without him. So while Virginia Tech's in the top 25 right now, I thought that was largely due to Caleb Farley. Now that they don't have Farley, I think Virginia Tech's another one of these teams, like Iowa, that probably will go through... That probably won't be in the top 25 to end the year. So, I did two teams today. I did two teams. I I said I was only going to do one team for the top 25, but I ended up doing two teams because I'm not sure if um, 
I'm going to do a podcast tomorrow. And if I choose not to do a podcast tomorrow and choose to resume on Wednesday, now I can go that route knowing I covered two of the top 25 teams for what the FBS. And on that note, I am going to end today's podcast because I want to go to the gym before um, before the NHL games start. And I got to promote this podcast on social media before the games start too. So thank you guys so much for listening. You can like Draft Utopia on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, go to our talk shoe page, go to our bit shoe page, go to our anchor page. You can donate on our anchor page if you would like to support the podcast. We are looking into setting up an e-commerce store. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're just doing a lot of different things at the Utopia of Sports, and we're glad you could be with us. My name is Chris Ransom. I'm signing off. Enjoy your NHL action on Monday, folks.